So the reason there is unrest now is Jovenel Moise, Jovenel as he's popularly known, who is the, I guess, former president, many people are calling him a dictator now, has overstepped, overstayed his constitutional mandate. So the presidential term was supposed to end in early February, but he declared that it actually didn't end in this February, it ended next February, and that he was still the president and he didn't have to leave. And he just imposed himself, despite the fact that the Supreme Court had ruled that he was in violation of the Constitution. Now, already he had essentially dissolved the legislature last year and had been ruling for almost all of 2020 by decree. And so he'd already done quite a bit to uh, uh, you know, move away from sort of a democratic dispensation. Um, then he dissolves the Supreme Court in the early part of this year, and which causes vast gridlock in the judiciary. He overstays it. And then he announces, not only have I overstayed my mandate, but we're going to have a new election for a new constitution that I have written in June. And the constitution is written in French. Almost no one reads French in Haiti since Creole is the primary language. Um, so that gives you a sense. And then he says, and then we'll follow that up with new elections in September. So the unrest is very much because people are very angry uh, in the most immediate sense at the fact that he has just totally abrogated the constitution of 1987, but in a deeper way, because his regime was already deeply unpopular. This is part of something that goes back to 2018, where a huge wave of protests came out against him because of an embezzlement scandal of around $3 billion in development funds from Venezuela. So people were very unhappy with the way he had been directing the country, um, that there's deep poverty, unemployment, and so on and so forth. They were looking for him to go. And instead, in 2020, he moves to a deep crackdown. And then in 2021, has moved now into a dictatorial phase and seems to be trying to orchestrate an electoral scenario, which will allow him to entrench his power and his party's power, uh, you know, for some time in the future. Yeah, it doesn't really sound like he's getting ready to leave uh, in February in 2022 with this new constitution. And and it doesn't sound like he's at all uh, afraid at of how other countries in the region might respond to these uh, anti-democratic power grabs, um, given how we've seen these countries respond to... Um, what weren't anti-democratic power grabs, but per perceived to be in places like Bolivia and Venezuela, H how have nation, how have like the OAS responded to these developments in Haiti? Well, some may be surprised to know, some less surprised. The OAS has been backing Jovenel pretty much completely. Uh, Luis Almagro, uh, who many people may know from Bolivia and the other places, he's playing similarly poor role here. Basically what the OAS has decided to do, and this is what many uh, the United States and others are doing, is they'll put out a press release that'll say, oh, things are very bad in Haiti. And this is so terrible that the government can't control uh, skyrocketing violence and so on and so forth. And what they need to do is get control of the situation and hold elections. But they mean elections under the current government. And thus, they're looking to legitimize the elections and basically try to place a security rationale on it and sort of say, look, we need you to kind of clean up your act so we can cover your behind here with this totally fake election. Um, but, you know, we're ultimately going to back this totally fake election either way. So it's sort of this like veil of concern of the situation, but then ultimately endorsing the idea of having elections, at least in September, whether or not they're favor in favor of the constitutional piece is another thing, but they will support that as well. And so certainly they have played a huge role, the OAS, in legitimizing this and their resolutions around it uh, about two weeks ago 
was a big sort of turning point. A lot of people said, well, what are they going to do in this situation where they continue to back him? And they have continued to back him. Unfortunately, you know, so has the UN Security Council. I mean, really, it seems that the international community overall has decided that for different reasons, I think, that Jovenel is the best solution for now. I think some people have a vested interest in it. I think other people don't have a vested interest, but ultimately, you know, aren't going to rock the boat because the opposition to, to Jovenel, even though it is almost all sectors of society, I mean, like the main Protestant church organizations, the radical socialists, the, you know, moderate middle of the road liberals, uh, conservative right-wingers. I mean, all sorts of people of all types are rejecting him, but there are a lot of divisions in the opposition. So there's not like a clear sort of alternative space that is going to emerge. And so, you know, something, a process like that could certainly probably be engaged in. And that was what the broad opposition coalitions were calling for in early February. They did have a brief agreement for a transitional government, but then that went by the wayside um, when uh, uh, Jovenel refused to step down. And so because of that, I think there, and many other reasons, there's a situation where almost by default, Jovenel is the, remains the most powerful force and has all this international support for, again, many reasons we can get into, but by and large, he's been able to benefit heavily from the geopolitics of the region and also the fact that most of the major powers seem to view the opposition either logistically and or ideologically to be not uh, kosher enough to, to deal with. It, uh, it, it sort of reminds me of, uh, I think a, a, a parallel is... Uh, how when you see the Israeli military massacring Palestinians, you will hear the State Department say things like, we call on all sides uh, for calm while like kids are getting like shot left and right. Palestinian kids are getting shot left and right. And, and the State Department uh, comes with this all sides stuff. And uh, it seems like a similar situation here where they're trying to just sort of uh, flatten the particulars of of why people are out in the streets and why people are are pissed off in a way that you know if 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 a situation like this was going on in a country that wasn't friendly to washington you would hear the state department firmly denounce the government i think that's exactly right i mean they probably would have just recognized some random person as the president uh and notably the Jovenel government recognizes Juan Guaido in Venezuela, which is certainly a factor uh, in the U.S. support for him. And, and it really is that much. I mean, you know, they've turned everything also only into security, which is certainly an issue. I mean, there's been a huge rise in kidnappings, um, the sort of collapse in state capacity under Jovenel uh, and the splintering of, of the police for many different reasons has created sort of power vacuums where you know, they're called gangs, but, you know, maybe they're a little bit above the level of gangs have emerged uh, in a big way as well. So, you know, there's less sort of, um, you know, rule of law as much of sort of rule by the gun in a lot of different circumstances. So that's a huge factor in what's going on in the country and people's dissatisfaction. But it's sort of they take that and they say, oh, Haiti's so violent um, and Jovenel needs to get in control of the violence. And they totally deny the fact that the protest movement is about so much more and that people's critique of the violence is rooted in their critique of the state in general and that the inability of the state to do anything positive to mobilize, uh, to support the population, to use the wealth to do any sort of development 
development is the exact reason why the country has collapsed from a security perception as well. But this way they present a much, as you say, Sam, I think correctly, a much more flat view of what's taking on. And they then create an easier bar for Jovenel to meet if he can find a way to use military force or negotiate with people to bring down the violence for them to then say, okay, now you are legitimate as a government rather than addressing any of the constitutional issues or any of the deeper development issues. As, as someone who was there uh, recently and you just got back on Tuesday, um, was it possible for you to sort of gauge um, people's feelings about how much support Jovenel has from security forces? Like, say, for example, he wanted to go full mask off and um, in, install himself as a military dictator. Does he have that kind of support from the military and the police? I think he does not, um, to the extent I could I could gauge it. I mean, certainly compared to many other countries I've, I've been in, I mean, you know, there's fewer cops on the street than New York City, right? Um, and, you know, so there's one large splinter uh, police agent, that I don't even really know what to call them, they're called Phantom 509, uh, that's the country code for, for Haiti. And, you know, when we were coming into the country, uh, the Olympic qualifiers, you know, are going on. So the Belize U23 team was like behind us in the customs line. So mm -hmm. we went and we did our thing. Uh, their team bus was like hijacked by Phantom 509 shortly after that. And like, not to hurt them, obviously they just wanted to mess up the international game and probably get it canceled uh, to make Jovenel look bad. But if you can sort of roll on an international event like that with like a swarm of dudes with assault rifles on motorcycles and not be stopped, I think that gives you a sense of where it is. And it certainly seems like some of these so-called gang leaders, you know, and, and it's hard, some of them maybe even appear to be playing multiple sides, but that many of them do aspire to use their control of armed force to play some role. I don't know if one of them wants to install themselves, but to play some role in the political process. So it's mm -hmm. almost like kind of a tri-cornered hat in terms of power. And so there hasn't been an army really in Haiti until the past couple of years. So Duvalier uh, and that dictatorship in the 60s dissolved the army because he you know, wanted to prevent coups against him and they only really had the police. And then subsequently people didn't wanna bring the army back because it had a bad reputation prior to that. And so the national police was the main force. They've now split. Jovenel has brought the army back a couple of years ago, but it's still not that strong. So you get the sense that he's maybe like, the strongest of a number of different actors. But to give you an example, the PHTK party, which he's a part of, the previous president before him, Martelli, he said Haiti needs a Fujimori solution. Um, so they kind of aspire to that sort of fascistic power. So it seems to me if it's not that ever present on the streets, it's because they can't do it, not because they, they aren't doing it. So, I mean, it sounds like he shouldn't be in, or it's, it sounds like his grasp on power is not very strong here at the moment. I mean, what, what sort of, popular support within the country does he have you said the opposition is made up of a ton of different groups and we know the support he has outside the borders for a variety of reasons as you said but where what segments of the population is he drawing any sort of popular support from or is he basically just relying on uh lack of an alternative and being in in security forces at this point I would say it's it's primarily the latter I mean in the last election to give you an example uh, you know, he got 500,000 some odd votes. There's like 6 million registered voters uh, in Haiti. And, you know, he was first. I mean, the other parties got fewer votes, but, you know, 500,000 people out of 6 million people gives you a sense. I mean, he has some support amongst sort of like the 
uh, this is a weird term to use, but like the numerical masses of like the oligarchical elite of people, um, because he's very much in line with the sort of traditional view of these export oriented industries. And so in that sort of like upper class elite, uh, some of them are not supporting him, but many of them are. He has some support limited support in the rural areas. And definitely when I was there, you get the sense that he's trying to build more of a base there. Like there's all these road building projects when you go out into the rural areas. Um, well, I shouldn't say all of these, there's not that many, but they're, they're notable because of the poor state of the roads and the poor state of development anyway. Now, 50 feet away from the road, people are living just as bad as they were before. Uh, we were driving on one of these new roads, you know, it's got power lines alongside of it. None of the houses underneath are connected to the power. There's no running water, but you know, if there's no road, that's an improvement. So they're obviously trying to use those kind of show projects. And there are some places in the rural areas where they pick things up. Port-au-Prince, it appears that there's very little support um, for him. So it really does feel that it's because there isn't the, the right coalition has not come together to fully dethrone him seems to be one major factor. And part of the reason why is he has universal support from the United States and the other powerful nations. And so it is giving him sort of, a, it gives him an extra sort of legitimacy in the country that other people don't have and can't call on. And were they to challenge him in certain major ways, they could certainly expect they would not be able to get the support from those forces. So I, I get the sense that they're, they're very embattled. I mean, that's certainly how it feels that the government's embattled there, um, that they know that they could you know, be swept away you know, but by the grace of God. And they're really relying on their international connections. And I think the hope that there can't, that there won't be enough unity against them um, to to bring anything out of the protests. Because the protests, I don't think are going to stop anytime soon. I think we'll continue to see large protests. So it really just becomes a question of of the politics of it. Um, can can a, a coalition come together? As it seemed to very briefly, right around the end of his term, technically in February, that something was crystallizing. Could that happen again? And could the right transitional force unite some of these other dissident forces? Um, out there who are who are you know wavering and do something it's possible but it's tough to say it feels like a default situation almost. how much power does the left in haiti have among these sort of oppositional forces um are, are there workers parties uh, i know that you were there on sort of a worker delegation sort of looking at conditions there it is there is there a, a political opportunity for the left in haiti here at all or I think there is I would, situation there. I would say it's it's tough, but not dismal. I, I'd say the left, the biggest sort of organized forces in the opposition are probably more kind of like, I wouldn't even really call them social Democrats, although some of them maybe are, but sort of center leftish people. Um, I would say there is still a strong current of sort of social democratic forces associated with the Lavalas party, uh, for former President Aristide's party, but they're split into a couple different factions, but they kind of control those. I would say the third force is probably the left. And, and the left is definitely active in many of the popular struggles. In the peasant sector, for instance, um, you know, the largest peasant organization, MPP, uh, is, is a left organization, a socialist-oriented organization. Certainly uh, in the trade unions, um, there is left-wing influence, although there's not a lot of trade unions, not a lot of trade unionists. Um, but what I will say is in the popular struggles as well, like the women's organizations in the cities, um, in the different communities, in many places like that, the left is present. So I would say the left is not 
and in the protest, the left is actually more present, I would say. And certainly, so it, it plays a role. Like when you look at on Sunday, the huge demonstration last Sunday, uh, the 20, uh, no, yeah, the 28th, 28th, um, where there's the huge demonstration and you see the sponsoring groups among some of like the larger, more center, more mainstream groups, you definitely see the left there and they're playing a mobilizing role. The ground forces that are in the demonstrations also lean more in an anti-imperialist direction, not necessarily sort of a, uh, well, I did hear some explicitly socialist chants get taken up by some large groups of people, but the masses of people which are very formed in the movement since 1991, the struggle against um, the coups against Aristide, the struggles for the recovery around the earthquake, there's a lot of consciousness about the role of the United States, the role of Europe, the role of foreign countries, and a lot of anger and opposition to imperialist meddling, and a lot of knowledge about sort of the regional politics of it. So there is sort of a lot of good consciousness there in the ground that sort of in the in the streets, you feel the presence of the left, uh, you know, much more strongly than an institution. So I think there is an opportunity for sure. I think that it would be difficult even for a transitional government where the weight was more in the center of the political spectrum. I think it would be difficult not to have some elements of the left, if not directly involved, you know, very close in supporting because many people will be supporting the left, more left demands, especially in terms of how Haiti would confront the international environment uh, moving forward, which if you were uh, sort of moving away from that, I think would create an even bigger opening for the left to challenge that kind of transitional government, which in and of itself could be an opportunity. So I think the attitude of the forces on the left right now is that they're in an uphill climb, that they need to accumulate more forces on the ground. There's a lot of focus on the battle of ideas. People are trying to com create community radio networks all across the country to try to counter um, the mainstream media institutions and things like that, which are just as bad there as they are here. Are they so podcasting yet? <laughs> yes, yes, some of them are, in fact. Uh, Radio Resistance is broadcasting 24 hours a day um, in Port-au-Prince, which is cool, um, and, and moving into the North and moving into the West. And that's a collective of young, um, radical people who are, who are very involved in the popular movement. So, yeah, I, I think people feel that there's opportunity there. I, I got a sense that there is, but it's definitely an uphill climb. Um, obviously, there's a lot of violence and repression that you know comes along with it and a lot of big fights. But I would say, yeah, definitely... In the peasant struggle, the presence of the left is felt very strongly. And in the popular movement in the streets, um, it certainly felt very strongly. But institutionally, um, you know, I would say some of the stronger forces in the opposition tend to be a little bit stronger than the left, tend to be a little bit more towards the center of the political spectrum. Considering that Jean-Bertrand Aristide was overthrown in 2004 with the uh, support of the United States and not just the United States, uh, the coup is also backed by Canada, and I'm fairly certain there were a whole range of other uh, uh, countries that aligned with the imperialist interests there uh, that overthrew Aristide. Is there like, is there sort of a sense of hopelessness that among Haitians sort of thinking that, well, even if we do uh, get rid of Jovenel, our fate is sort of written in the stars and that the Biden administration, the Trudeau administration, and everyone else will just come in and reimpose Jovenel or whomever to uh, keep this paradigm, this this export, this um, export based economy where 
the, things are just uh, the, the wealth of the country is stripped to the greatest extent possible and, and, and sent abroad. Is, is there a sense of hopelessness that this is just the way it, it is and it's always going to be? I think it's a sense of concern, but I think it really has sharpened sort of the anti-imperialist edge of the popular movement. And a lot of people seem to want to, are, are putting more emphasis on, you know, if we get rid of Jovenel, sort of part of that is a more direct confrontation with the United States. And that's the only way it can happen. And I would also note, I think that's one of the opportunities for the left though, to speak to that issue of the concern and the discourse of the left in Haiti is very much around the idea of international solidarity. And that the only way to sort of prevent these kind of things from happening is not just necessarily to be confrontational towards the West, which is not a controversial thing to say um, these days, given the situation, but to try to draw and build direct links with the working class and the popular movements in the West to change their policies. And that that is what offers the biggest hope for Haiti is being part of a broader situation of change. And people there, you know, have some sense of what's going on. People certainly were referencing the uprising in George Floyd to us and knowing about that. Um, there's a lot of solidarity with Venezuela and Cuba there in, in a big way and knowledge of the broader uh, peace there and, and, you know, many ties to the left and other parts of Latin America, for instance, in Argentina, um, you know, two of the Congress people from Patria Grande, which is, um, you know, one of the main sort of left formations within the ruling coalition there, they're trying to bring forward a report through the Congress of Argentina um, uh, in conjunction with Haitian organizations denouncing Jovenel and, and the different pieces that are happening. So some of those I think are also interesting opportunities as well in terms of how the struggle will shape up is people knowing and feeling concerned well, we know that the US will not agree basically with what we're doing and what is the strategy that can legitimately confront them. And I think that will be a big question, a huge question, because there are some people who don't want to confront the US who are in the opposition, who really love the US. They just want Jovenel gone. Um, and I think that will become a huge question in terms of mm -hmm. if he was to leave, how that would look and how that would be shaped. But I do think that concern is real and people are very, very cognizant of the fact that US policy has the ability to really turn things around in the worst possible way, as it already does. I've got to say that another example of, of another poor, well, I don't know if poor country is the right term here, but um, uh, certainly not wealthy on uh, the United States' terms. But uh, anyway, an, an, <laughs> an example to Haiti would be Bolivia successfully resisting uh, U.S. backed uh, forces of reaction there over the past few years. That maybe that's something. Uh, well, that Anthony Blinken to. is on the scene now, and he's very concerned about the recent developments out of Bolivia. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think that that is is true. I think Ecuador as well. I think people are definitely paying attention. I mean, my own view is that one of the main reasons the U.S. is concerned with Jovenel, I mean, I think he gives them everything they need in terms of just like the typical neoliberal exploitation. But I do think there also is a fear that it will be difficult to put together a credible opposition government that is like trying to honor the desire of the masses of people. So tamping down the protest, starting to turn things around, that doesn't start to shift the ideological grounds of where Haiti starts to go. I mean, already, you know, Haiti is out of step with the other CARICOM countries, which, you know, have already been critical of Biden on Cuba, critical of him on Venezuela. So even just a small shift like that. But I think it's much more likely, you know, that Haiti could become more involved with ALBA, more involved in the left movements in Latin America, 
very easily and that there are many political forces that already kind of have those feelings and it really is just a question of what the makeup would be of the next force and i think we don't know that but i think you can make a pretty if I was the US and I was concerned about imperialism, I would be a little concerned about the possibility of, build, of, of getting another government in there that is gonna give you both A, what you need in terms of only focusing on extractivism um, and completely exploiting the labor and sweatshops and B, what you need in terms of bucking the leftward tide uh, movement that seems to be reviving here in Latin America. Probably more likely a new Haitian government would be at least on the, outer fringes of that movement rather than opposed to it, which now is pretty much where Jovenel stands. Seems pretty uh, crazy to me that, uh, you know, and Eugene, you probably agree with this, that that the Cuban model isn't more widely embraced by Haitians. I mean, Cuba, you know, for, for all its, uh, uh, for all the problems that it has, it, it, it seems like it would be life in Cuba is, is vastly preferable uh, to the, what's going on in Haiti. I would say if uh, President Diaz-Canal was able to run in a free and fair election in, in Haiti, he would win going away. It wouldn't even be close. Uh, Cuba is very popular in Haiti. And in fact, even under Jovenel, Cuba is the key collaborator with Haiti in the healthcare system. And a huge part of the Haitian healthcare system was held up by the Cuban government and the medical missions and the people who go there. Uh, a lot of Haitian students go to Cuba and also in very other, many other knowledge economy things. It's actually an interesting fact that even the right-wing governments in Haiti have been unwilling to really sort of buck the trend started under President Aristide of embracing Cuban collaboration. And I definitely think without a doubt that if if you if you had that level of uh, uh, you know uh, uh, policy in Haiti, it would not be unpopular. And I think it's really just a question. Of, and, and I think in a way, this is exactly why they cooed out Aristide in the early '90s and again in 2004 because he was looking to Haiti as a model. Um, and certainly, late looking to Cuba, uh, looking to excuse me, looking to Cuba as a model for Haiti, looking to Venezuela and building closer relations with President Chavez, looking to be sort of in that space. I mean, he when he came out as a political figure in the late 1980s was also pushing in that direction. And that's why I think he was so dangerous. But again, he has achieved state power twice. He's probably the most popular person to ever be the leader of the country, um, certainly in the past 40 or 50 years. And those his politics were not Cuban communist politics, but they were certainly politics that spoke more towards a social model that saw Cuba as kind of the moral center of the broader region in terms of how that plays out. So again, when you think about the role of imperialism and the fears they have in the region, like the last popular government to win elections twice in free elections uh, was a very a rel relatively, not very, but relatively progressive government. And I think that the belief that that could happen again um, is certainly possible. I mean, the third person in the last election, uh, Moise Jean-Charles, uh, you know, he went and spoke at a rally with Maduro uh, just after that election and actually apologized mm. to the Venezuelan people on behalf of Haiti for Jovenel supporting Juan Guaido. But when you have you know, <laughs> someone who's considered a potentially credible leader of the country flying to Venezuela to speak with Maduro, you know, I, I think you can see uh, uh, that that popular base there for sure um, has, has consciousness. And definitely just talking to people in the streets, um, you get the sense that people for sure um, uh, would be more than happy to see, see much more significant development moves. 
I've seen some, and I see that we have just a few more minutes left here on the Zoom, so we can wrap this up here in just a little bit. Um, but I've I've seen some reports uh, in the press about the violence in Haiti, and there are claims from the opposition that um, that Jovenel is instigating a lot of this violence in order to provoke a security crisis situation that he can then use to as a power grab or even bring in foreign help to quell the situation. Um, is, is that a, a legitimate concern? It is a legitimate concern. Um, we did hear that when we were in Bel Air, which is one of the main popular neighborhoods where there, a lot of these accusations are made. Um, we definitely heard that from people, that some of the people involved in sort of the burning of homes and gun battles and things that are going on are promoted by uh, Jovenel. Now, there's a flip side of that coin. You know, the, most of the people who are accused of that, they, of course, say, no, that's completely false. Um, and, you know, one of them is a guy named Barbecue is his nickname. Um, and it's, you know, mainly because of the his penchant for burning things, um, including people sometimes. Uh, and nevertheless, he's a former cop. And so he's also a part Correct. of this sort of collapse of the security uh, infrastructure. And, you know, so but it's unclear. There are some people who are very vehemently know he's not with with Jovenel. Um, and he just represents sort of, uh, you know, natural evolution in a security vacuum. It is clear that he wants to play some major role. Um, so whether he's exactly tied to Jovenel or not, uh, you know, who's to say, but some of the violence does seem to be you know, thuggish violence instigated by him. I mean, you know, certainly there are people who are putting it in their videos. You know, they're going around intimidating people with AKs and saying, you know, we're doing it for Jovenel and you thought he wasn't around. You thought he couldn't get you, um, but he can get you. So there is some of that strategy of tension going on. I think there's also some jockeying for power where I think some of these people are probably switching sides like day by day, you know, like they'll work with Jovenel here, they're doing their own thing there, um, trying to position themselves. There is some integration with the international community and these so-called gangs through this UN disarmament commission. So some of them, you know, are like negotiating basically with the international community and not directly through Jovenel. So there is a lot of ambiguity there, but yes, I think bottom line, there is definitely paramilitary type violence being perpetrated by Jovenel's forces. How much, how much of it's directed by him? How much is him just sort of riding the tiger? Um, is not a hundred percent clear. Just wrapping up here, I uh, just wanted to give you a chance to give some final thoughts, having uh, been on the ground there. I know that in uh, some of your dispatches with Punch Out, you were talking about how uh, the media gives such a, a one-dimensional representation of Haiti, and I thought maybe you'd want to wrap up with something like that or uh, something about any of your other impressions that you saw that you'd like to impart with us? Yeah, no, definitely. And I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the international media, like the thing that it really leaves out that I think people should know is just like the, the resilience and the steadfastness of Haitian people. Like, I mean, as, as bad as everything is there, um, you know, there's not a, a sense of doom and gloom in the population. And the history of the Haitian revolution plays a big role in that. And people have a lot of pride, but also a lot of belief that you can change things if you want to. But, you know, there's the, the popular organizations for sure are, are rife in many of the communities. Uh, many of them, of course, would like to be larger, of course, and do a lot more. But there is a lot of organization going on. There is a lot of conversation. You know, we were able to go to a socialist meeting at the State University of 120 people. Um, and it was amazing to hear these young people talk about you know their their views in the future of the country um obviously haiti has an amazing strong 
vibrant culture. And really just that the problems that exist in Haiti are all, they're not fake problems, they're real, but they're fake in the sense that they're enforced. They're not accidents. And so many of the things that you see, like people see pictures of tons of trash. Yeah, well, there's no trash cans and there's no real trash collection. So, um, you know, you could change that if you wanted to, but the government has chosen not to. So I think also understanding that kind of like the, the, the late night infomercial donation uh, view of Haiti, I think doesn't give a full uh, 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 spectrum. And, and to close on that, which is why I think the thing I heard the most from people when I said, what do you want me to underline for people in the US is that they should do something to advocate that the US change the policy towards supporting Jovenel. Like people have a very good sense of what they wanna do, what they wanna try to do, how they wanna move forward and all the different political tendencies and, and how that all is gonna play out. But they know that it can't play out in a real way as long as the US is the ultimate uh, sort of arbiter of so many elements of Haitian politics. And they're really calling on people to try to do something to, to make a change. And a handful of people in Congress have said something, but I really think in the same way Yemen has been lifted up as this major issue, we should lift Haiti up in the same way, where even if Biden can't be moved, which doesn't seem unlikely, there's at least a powerful discourse, which I think will play a big role in protecting people and their organizing and their freedom to move by putting that international spotlight on them. Eugene Perrier is a journalist with Breakthrough News and uh, the host of the Punch Out podcast. I believe that's a good enough term for it. And you can find Eugene on Twitter at Eugene Perrier, his name as it sounds. Eugene, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you so much for having me, guys. Really appreciated it.